uh, before I read the scripture today, we are going to pray a short prayer for illumination. You might have noticed we've started doing this. The way that we learn from the scripture is through the work of this Holy Spirit. So it makes sense to ask him for help to learn from his word. Father God, in your rich mercy, give us humble, obedient, and teachable hearts that we may abide in your love and bear fruit in this world as we love each other in the way you have commanded. Praise be to the risen Christ. Amen. So the scripture this morning comes from both Matthew and John. First one is Matthew eleven nineteen. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. I'll give you a minute to turn to John 15, 9 through 17. Not a minute, a couple seconds. John 15, 9 through 17. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I commanded you that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. This has been a very lovely and challenging series for me, and I was wondering if people are getting sick of it, and I wonder how you'd put that into an email. I'm sick of learning about the heart of Christ. I'm sure you could word it better than that. And it's challenging because we're looking at very simple categories, but yet the entirety of Scripture speaks to those categories and teaches us more and more about it. And so I'm going to end up bouncing around a lot more today in the Bible than I typically do because there is so much for us to see and learn and be grasped by from Jesus' simple statement that now he calls us friends. He said that to the disciples, but we receive it by faith through the Holy Spirit. My screen's a little different than it used to be, but I think I got it. The reason that I wanted to start with abide and not friend of tax collectors and sinners is because this section of scripture is so profound. There is so much hope and love and life in it. It's essentially the last long conversation that Jesus has with the disciples. And it's such a lovely command to abide in him. Abiding in Christ is an integrated commitment to enjoying your union 
with Christ. It's a move of mind, it's a move of emotion, it's trust and allegiance, it's reflected in your prayer life and in your allegiance to Jesus, especially when tempted to not love neighbor, either by omission or commission. And Jesus' description and invitation are about following him. And I know that language is familiar to you, but we also think, the reason I, so the reason I say it, even though I know that's familiar to most of you, is we can believe that religion is about what we believe, and I believe it is more true to say that religion is about who we are following. Those of you that are logical are like, are you saying that's a false dichotomy? No. Or are you presenting with me with a, fa- a false dichotomy? No. But I'm saying it is better to begin with who are we following and then learn our beliefs along the way. Jesus is inviting us to follow him in a thorough way that affects literally all of life when he says abide. And this text is so interesting and challenging because I believe abide is a sweet and a pleasant word to hear, and yet how does Jesus describe our abiding? Five times he says, the proof of it is keeping his commandments. Eight times he says, the proof of your abiding is bearing fruit. So it is not a, it's not just a simple or warm Hallmark Cardi kind of a statement, abide, it's abide. And what that looks like is joyful obedience to him. There are times that that's easy. There are times that it's challenging. It almost always involves learning because loving the people in our lives is not a simple matter most of the time. The reason I'm linking this to Matthew 11 is there's a really beautiful progression in the scriptures where first Jesus is accused of being a drunken, a glutton, and worse, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then, and we'll look at this in a few minutes, he takes it on joyfully. He's happy to be called that because his mission to reclaim the lost and to bind up the brokenhearted involves us knowing our need for him. Our opportunity is to abide in the true vine. This is John chapter 15, where he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. John 14 through 17 is, in, in, in many respects, the culmination of Jesus' earthly teachings about himself. The rest of the New Testament tells us a lot more about who he is and was and what he did in light of the Old Testament, especially. But here, he's finishing teaching the disciples about himself. I think the ending in chapter 16 of the dialogue is quite funny when the disciples are like, oh, finally you speak plainly. Now we get it. Moves from this high, exalted prose to the disciples like, thank you for explaining it to us straightforwardly. Jesus describing himself as the vine is a reference to Isaiah 5 and Isaiah 27 and Psalm 80. Among Those are the more direct references. And what he's saying is that all true faith flows through him. I believe this is an expansion of John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, I am the vine. It's a reference to Israel, and um, he's stating all true faith flows through him. And the reason I say it's the culmination is, if you're familiar with the book of John, you know that there are seven strong, metaphorical I am statements where Jesus describes who he is, 
and who we receive by faith with these metaphors. He says, I am the bread of life. So he provides us the sustenance that nothing else can to worship him and care for the neighbors in our life. He says he is the light of the world, which means without him we're in darkness. It's a metaphor, so you get to use your imagination to receive, but it's a beautiful metaphor and one I think that we know to be true, which is why we're worshiping together. That's in chapter 8. In chapter 10, he says the door. Take all of the curse, all sin and disease and brokenness, and that's where we live. And yet there's a kingdom, but we can't get there on our own. We need him to be the door. He says he is the good shepherd, which means we know we need to be led. He is not a good shepherd. He's the good shepherd. And then in the midst of great grief over the death of his friend, he proclaims that he is the resurrection and the life. And that truth does not erase the curse today, but it will. It will roll back the curse when Jesus returns. And that is a sweet promise. I was off social media last week only to jump on after church and see all sorts of angry people talking about if your pastor didn't talk about what happened in Buffalo. And I was like, what if your pastor didn't know? Because he was studying for his sermon instead of watching the news. And then there was another shooting in California that was very complicated. Ended up researching it. And these truths comforted me in them. Didn't make me less sad. It comforted me, and then I needed that comfort again and again this week. I had some friends uh, uh, somewhat humorously remark on the way that some Western news cycles go, and in that, pointing me to other conflicts in addition to Ukraine, which is mostly what my news feed shows. We talked about that, and as I look at these promises and the comfort that they bring, they remind me of how much I need the gospel and am therefore so grateful for it. I used to be really confident that you needed to know what I thought about all of those issues that I just alluded to. I'm less sure. But the reason I mention that is because all of Jesus' I am statements culminating in I am the true vine give us comfort and confidence in following him. In chapter 14, he says he's the way, the truth, and the life, which I think is an encapsulating summary of the other I am statements, and then I am the true vine is expanding that so that we understand that salvation and life and the ability to love neighbor is all found in an abiding allegiance to him. Abide in the vine who calls you friend. There are a number of things that I say when I offer to you the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and I've begin, I have begun using this one more. Not only because I think friendship is one of the greatest gifts of the kingdom and I think in the theological language of abiding and then the mon- relatively mundane language of friend we can miss what a very, very, very sweet part of the gospel this is that Jesus calls us friend. In Matthew 11, it's an indictment that Jesus is taking on 
and saying, now just what at the end of, of the verse that Meg read, he says, and wisdom will be known by its fruit. I'm paraphrasing. In Luke 11, or excuse me, in Luke 15, Jesus just takes on this title. He's totally comfortable with it. He ends up telling a bunch of stories about how comfortable he is being called a friend of tax collectors and sinners. When we receive communion in our nine o'clock service in the hayloft, we use um, a liturgy that was written by a number of people at the barn, and I've even added some small things to it, and we say he is still the friend of tax collectors and sinners, which is us. All of these I am statements and promises gently remind us of our need. (laughs) What I have written in my notes is, Jesus is the bread of life, and do I remember that on my own I would choose Cheetos? (laughs) Not a perfect metaphor by any stretch, but left to my own devices, I am not going to choose life. I'm not going to choose to put to death sin. I'm not going to avoid temptation. Jesus says he is the light of the world. Do you know your need for that light and that without it you're in darkness? I think you do. That's why you're here. I want this to encourage you. I long for this to encourage you. Those of you that are not followers of Christ, this is the offer. Jesus is the bread, the light, the door, because this world is a joyless prison. But through Jesus, there is joy. He says twice, at least, off the top of my head in this. He is teaching us this and offering himself that our joy may be full. He is a good shepherd. The way, the truth, and the life, and the vine. And all of those are invitations And all of those are ways that we are reminded of our, or perhaps taught for the first time, of our great need to trust him. And receiving the friendship of Jesus begins with his pursuit of us. You did not choose me, but I have chosen you. But then we get to participate with it. I heard a pastor ask this, oh man, about 21, 22 years ago, and I I, I found it very compelling. The way that we sense our need now as followers of Christ is we're bothered by our sin. The old way of talking about that is we're penitent. Does that make anyone else think of Indiana Jones? The penitent man will pass. Too much, that's too much, too much pop culture. It's not a popular word anymore. This is what Christians receive now is humility. Grief, though not a grief that crushes us over our own sin. Penitence that we might live lives of life in love for God and neighbor, which is what it means to abide. The Apostle Paul calls this being in Christ. 27 books of the New Testament, 13 of them written by Paul. He says the phrase, he writes the phrase in Christ 164 times. And what it means to be in Christ, not all of what it means, but part of what it means is to receive the friendship of Jesus the constant companionship of him. All of those promises are alongside and with us by faith given by the Holy Spirit.
Jesus calls you his friend. His work clearing the way for you to be his friend, his loving kindness so evidenced in language we can understand. And he fully expects that that friendship will call us into joyful obedience. In chapter 14, he says in verse 21, 23, 24, and then in chapter 15, verse 10, that the way that we show that we've received the friendship of Jesus is by keeping his commands. And because of the way he talks about love in chapter 13, what does it mean to have a joyful response to the friendship of Jesus? What does it actually look like? This is where this, this series has, has challenged me, but it has also been very enriching to look at all of the scripture, know that many of the writers were reading one another's works. Peter actually claims he doesn't know Paul, so if you've ever thought Paul's confusing, you're in good company. Paul was very familiar with these teachings of Jesus and writes that this is what it looks like to abide in the vine. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Your friendship with Jesus ushers you into life in the Spirit that is now growing you in those ways. You can either resist that or participate with it. That's the offer for a follower of Jesus. Those of you that are considering the gospel, in your best moments, you long to love that way. And that is part of the offer of the gospel. Jesus doesn't just say that we'll keep his commandments of love. He also says that we'll bear fruit. Twice in verse 2 of chapter 15. Once in verse 4. Twice in verse 5 once in verse 8, and twice in chapter 16. What does it mean to bear fruit? Again, I think the Apostle Paul gives us the most direct answer. This is in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, and fruit, singular, from a tree, grows over time. Be patient with yourself. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. The reason I kept reading beyond the fruit of the Spirit is, do you see the offer of receiving friendship with Jesus, abiding in Him, and then living it out? We no longer look up to people in a problematic way, envying them. We no longer look down on people in a judgmental way. We're freed from that into loving community with one another. When I preached on Jesus' gentleness a few weeks ago, my 16-year-old said, Dad, you've been very gentle with me as you teach me how to drive. Those of you that have ever taught a human how to drive know that that is, I think, 100% the Holy Spirit in my life. (laughs) And my daughter's even a good student. It just happens to be a very infuriating thing to teach 
it's not infuriating, but I think I could teach her in a non-gentle way and she might learn faster and I don't think it's worth it. And that is perhaps a silly example, but perhaps a profound one because don't we long to love in the ways that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13? Don't we long to live in the way that Paul describes in Galatians 5? This is through daily abiding in Jesus. It's about trust. It is about allegiance. It certainly is reflected in our prayer life. And it is first received. I know I show this picture a lot. It'll never come up in the summer. Because we don't have a projector out there. The friendship of Jesus is first received by us. This is Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal Son. After Jesus fully accepted the title of friend of tax collectors and sinners, he tells stories about the Father pursuing all of the sinners in front of them. Those that know their need receive it and then live in its light. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we are so thankful that through your Holy Spirit we receive friendship with you. We trust you, Holy Spirit, and ask that you give us strength to trust you. To both crucify the flesh and to live in step with the Spirit. Enlighten our minds to understand and be gripped by these metaphors you offer. Strengthen and give us energy, Lord, that we might avoid temptation and choose righteousness and life instead. Give us knowledge of how to love one another, both our friends and acquaintances and those we share a household with, those that we work with. Lord, we long to make much of your gospel in word and in deed. Would you strengthen us to do that? Amen.